Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. I am talking to Victoria Abbott Fleming, who started a foundation called Burning Nights. She has CRPS, which is Complex Regional Pain Syndrome, and she has a bilateral double amputation of both legs. Uh, This woman rocked my world. She is so amazing. At 24 years old is when all of this started for her with just a fall down a staircase. And from there, she's gone on to have to deal with double amputations, medically induced coma. She was only 24 when this happened and had just bought a house with ironically stairs. And um, there's so much that had to change for her. So we went over a lot of this. Uh, She went through 39 doctors and took seven months to find an answer for what she had. Uh, We talked about the symptoms of CRPS, which are not necessarily what you would think to look out for and probably why it took so long for her to get her diagnosis. Uh, We go over socialized medicine, the NHS, and the difference with um, the ACA, the American Health Care Act. Um, We discuss what happens when you are in agony, but everything is invisible And doctors keep telling you, you should not be hurting like this. Um, We discuss how chronic illness can affect your relationships, especially when you're young. And she says things so perfectly, which is that with chronic illness, it's not just the person who has this. It is the entire group of people around them who are going to be dealing with this. So we even went over the uh, sixth sense of humor that fate has. Um, she went through more than I can possibly imagine. And I'm sorry if I sound manic at a certain point, but I was just blown away with everything that she has dealt with and done and then gone on to be so strong to create a foundation to educate and to help others with her disorder. The first one I understand in the UK Um, Please listen all the way through. This is just packed full of information. And um, she was kind enough to share her her dealing with depression. And um, I talked about my dealing with depression because I truly think that with chronic illness, we don't discuss that enough. So I hope you enjoy listening to Victoria. She is amazing. Um, Thank you so much and have a great week. All right, and welcome to Invisible Not Broken, and I am dying to introduce you to the founder of Burning Nights. So I'm just going to have you say your name and what you're dealing with, and then we'll go into how it started. Okay, hi. Hi, Monica. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, My name's Victoria Abbott-Fleming, and you are right. I am the founder of Burning Nights CRPS Support. I have complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS, um, and I am now a bilateral or double above knee amputee due to CRPS. Okay, so that's extreme CRPS. So I'm going to have you explain it because I have yet to meet anyone who knew what it was. Yeah. If I'm correct, it used to go under a different name, right? It was RSVD? Um, yeah, you were close. It's RSD, or ref- you're very close. Um, <laughs> reflex sympathetic dystrophy. But it's actually had 202 names in the English language alone. Yeah. That's not fair. That's that's hard to do with Google search. So exactly. if you want to explain the, the symptoms of, like, I, I know that for each person it's vastly different. What were your symptoms like? And if you want to start with how it started, that would be great. Yeah, okay. Um, it started, I was 24, 
Um, and I was actually teaching. I was a, I'm a barrister, or I think you call them advocates, lawyers. Yes. Very different. We're the, the, the traditional guys with the wigs and the gowns, you know, the petty, the cute ones. So that was me. Um, I began teaching law, and I fell downstairs at work. I went down 30 concrete stairs. This is way back in 2003. And... I suffered major soft tissue damage. They think I possibly had nerve damage, um, but it was just major damage to the, to the soft tissue. Um, my legs swelled up to three times the size within a matter of seconds. Um, I was instantly sick with the pain, and it was just like somebody put a, a hammer or, or a, a, a something through the bone. It was that painful. Um, I was actually more embarrassed by the student that was actually behind me. Um, and seeing the teacher fall down the stairs is not a good look, considering he's only been there three months. So, okay, you know. Did you check to make sure he wasn't the one who pushed you? Were you giving him a bad grade? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I did wonder, but no, <laughs> bless him, he, he was, he was ever so concerned, but oh. no, he didn't push me, I was, no, no pushing, poor um, yeah, poor 16-year-old, you know, oh. uh, teenage, typical teenager, you know, see the, the miss fall down the stairs, not, not, not good for the image, not good at all, fortunately, I wore trousers, so no skirt issues, you know, no wardrobe malfunction, that's the no health of 16-year-olds, Exactly, because we wouldn't like that to happen. So um, I, I stood up and the pain was intense. It was ridiculous. So much so that I was sick um, through the pain. But as I said, the swelling was huge. It was three times the size of the other one. And I'd got a big dent, really, in the middle of my shin. And I thought, okay, well, it's not broken. I knew that because I could, I could move it. Um, got in the car, spoke to my husband, and he said, well, tell you what, stay there and I'll come pick you up. But me being me, me being whatever. Uh, I drove the four miles home. I uh, got home and I couldn't get out of the car. I, I just couldn't move. My body was that in pain and in weather through the show. It was probably through the shock, really. You know, 30 concrete stairs is not your everyday fall, you know. No. Um, no, no, not the two stairs or three stairs, but... Um, we went to the hospital and they said, don't worry, you know, it's fine. You'll be all right in a few days. If not, go to the hospital. Uh, well, within 24 hours, I'd got major bruising, so much so that the whole of my leg, lower half from the knee, uh, was just like black and blue, literally black and blue. Uh, there was no spot on it that was just normal skin. It was that bad. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, my husband had been in the army and he'd done a lot of first aid, so oh. he knew something was majorly <laughs> wrong. Oh, oh, trust me, he's great. You know, he's brilliant, very handy, and he's good at cooking as well, even for a man. Yeah, no, no offence to all the men out there, you know. Um, and he even goes shopping. Yeah, with the bargains, you know. You are so lucky you did not have Kiris interviewing you today because he would take an offense. He is an awesome cook, an amazing chef. Well, there you go. That's what we need more men cooking in the world. See, you gotta come over here. Come over to California. We got some good chefs. My husband used to be a chef. It's helpful. There you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so sorry to the only men out there, anyway. (laughs) No offense was intended. Um,. Yeah, oh, so, get over um, it. Yeah, get over it. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah, so um, uh, we basically went back to the hospital and they said, you know, do loads of x-rays, loads of tests, scans. 
and they saw nothing. They just saw major soft tissue. I'm like, okay, well, hello, something's gone wrong here. So they fed me a load of tablets, you know, anti-inflammatories, uh, ibuprofen type, cocodamol type meds, that sort of stuff, and uh, it never went away. And it took 39 doctors in seven months to come out with the answer. And 39, you'd have thought one would at least say something, you know. Um, but everyone kept saying, no, no, it'd be fine. Give it another week, another week. And it just kept going on and on and on until it got so ridiculous. The pain was intense. The skin had gone so stretched and scat and shiny. It just looked like an ice rink. It, it was that shiny. Um, I My nails started to grow on my toes really long but very very brittle um and then all of a sudden about month seven um i saw my, there's no hair on my leg at all none at all not even a little tiny tiny one so, i'm just thinking um, of all the symptoms at least that like yeah well no there's shaving no shaving needed. involved I exactly mean, so many of the side effects are like are you freaking kidding me that's a thing <laughs> and then you get like the one that yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, that was one that I didn't need the shaving cream for. So um, we were okay on that. Um, so now, yeah. I want to backtrack just for a second because you are not in the United States. You are in no. oh, the United Kingdom. Thank you. The whole Great but Britain. Which part of Great Britain are you in? We're part. We're the north part. We're Derbyshire. So okay. oh, northwest. Someday I'll come visit you. Um, You've got to come visit. You've uh, got to come visit. You have very green. A lot of doctors. Now, just to remind, because we have a very international audience, and I always like to remind people, I'm here in the United States. 39 doctors here, even with insurance, would have put us close to bankruptcy. So I just, you are in a country that, that probably, did that affect you guys financially, or was that paid for by the NHS. Yeah. Um, no, I totally get, and you're so right to bring it up. Um, <laughs> Every episode until so it right. changes. Or until I get to yeah. move. Either one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in the UK, we have two systems, really. We have the main one, which is the NHS. That is basically like state-provided healthcare. Yeah. So the government pays basically for you to have healthcare so I can see the GP which is a local doctor you know like a, a family doctor around the corner they we call them GPs here and yeah. um, then there's also doctors in hospitals so you get the specialists so like a neurologist rheumatology um, and then you'll also obviously get the consultants they're all in the hospitals um, so I can go into the system um, at any time free of charge but we actually paid for several doctors ourselves um, because we wanted an answer. You know, this had been going on. The pain had never stopped in six, seven months. So we needed an answer. So we paid for at least five, maybe six, possibly more uh, doctors ourselves, um, which wasn't cheap. Um, not cheap. Not as bad as, obviously, the States. Yeah. Uh, you have to pay for absolutely everything. Um, but not, and no. And then some. <laughs> and then some added on extra as well, even though you got insurance. Yeah. But, so for yeah. your test, so, I mean, I cannot even, I can't imagine, sorry. I absolutely can't imagine yeah. how sinking that feeling is when you're getting all of these tests done and they're coming back, you're the healthiest sick person ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And you look fine. 
What was the Beauty. test? Did they? Cause I I actually had what you have um, a long time ago, and the only way they found it was an anti nuclear antibody test, where I was pumped full of nuclear antibodies. Which I wanted a spider wow. to bite me so bad. I'm like, come on, this is my chance. I want superhero wow. powers. Is that what they did for you, or how did they come to that diagnosis? No, we people. Yeah, we didn't. We don't have that here. That nuclear test, we don't have that here. Ours, all they use now is the criteria. It's called the Budapest okay. criteria. That's what they now use, and I think even in the states they use it now. Um, and it's basically look at your medical history. The, the first one is your pain, how long it's been going, and how intense is it. So really, you know, an, a soft tissue injury should be healed and done in six weeks you shouldn't be that much pain but I was so that's what they look at that's your first one and then they look at your signs and your symptoms so I had the swelling the hypersensitivity um so when clothes touched me it was like having sandpaper on sunburn mm-hmm. it's I know it's 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 one of those conditions that I'd love to disappear you know um <laughs> wave a magic wand but you know we'd had all the the blood tests like you know coagulants and stuff but everything is coming back negative negative they went for everything the you know lupus lime um uh loads of stuff you know but everything was coming back negative even what they even went for arthritis but so no. what was your functionality at this time? Were you able to still work or were you, and I hate to ask pain scale because it's so subjective, I know, yeah. but um, in a chronic yeah. illness world, because I think that that's most of the people who are listening are people who deal with chronic pain every day from that scale, not from the normal people scale, not from civilian scale, but from... Yeah, not civilian scale, the real person scale, yeah. Yeah, the, those um, of us, those yeah, spoonies yeah. of us. What, what exactly. were you dealing with every day? What was, was it a bad day every day or were you having flares? It was, at the beginning, it was virtually a flare upon flare upon flare. Um, I had very, very few good days. So maybe out of a seven day, I'd maybe have two good days or semi-good days where I could actually move and get out of bed. Um, I, I couldn't work. I stopped work. Um, they were, in a way, badgering me in a way because they kept saying, well, there's, you know, there doesn't seem anything wrong with you, basically. You know, you look, look fine. Um, and I'm saying, you know, you're not me. You're not feeling the pain that I'm feeling. Um, so on the normal person scale, um, the I would say it was a good eight, nine every day. Um, it only hit 10 and it did it, hit it. And I was, well, I ended up in hospital with it because it was that bad um, because I couldn't control the pain. And then I pass out with it. So functionality really poor I was using crutches all the time when I did get out of bed so not good not good so how was your relationships at that time how did, how was your husband handling it your family friends how are people dealing yeah. with this uh, this was the problem I lost a lot of friends and probably most of your audience that are mm. chronic pain sufferers uh-huh. will know you know who your friends are and I think I said that to you it's the uh, grand migration it's like a great migration of people who like yeah. just and people the people you don't expect 
Like, yeah. it's it's kind of crazy. It was a little yeah, humbling. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you think you're, you're the best friends. Yeah. And, the, and because you keep saying, yeah, I'll go, and then the actual day comes and you're in bed because the pain's so intense, you ring them up or you text them and say, I can't go. Oh, what, again? You know, and they just don't get it. And I lost a lot of friends and it was hard for my family because they kept saying, but you must be better. Why are you not better? Why are you not well? They couldn't get over that it was still there, you know. Um, my husband and I had literally just moved into a new house nine days before my accident. So it was only nine days into my new home, our first home. Um, Tell me there were no stairs in this home. Yeah. <laughs> no! There were. There were. Yeah. There were. And I hated it. Because as soon as I saw stairs, I'd freak I'd oh. freak out and think, oh, my God, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. And it was it was like it got so bad that I was ending up going on my bum down the stairs because I refused to stand up in case I fell. I mean, Which, the PTSD alone, just, like, from... I, like, uh, so the people like you who can actually point to a day where everything changed, you guys yeah. amaze me. I am so impressed because to go from one day where everything's normal to everything shifts... That's such a strength of, of character. I, I can't even begin to wrap my brain. I've been sick since I was eight. I, wow. I've been told I would not walk after I was 30 since I was 16. Like, this has been, like, reality, and I've, I had time to adjust. I don't know how you guys adjust. Like, that must be so wild, because, like, the thing that we all, well, not, not me, but most of everyone <laughs> deals with every day, up and down stairs, and all of a sudden, that is the thing that changed your life. That's huge. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was, and it was the fact that everywhere you, everywhere you went, you'd see stairs. You know, you don't, it's mad because you'd see them and you'd probably, you've probably been up those, in, uh, you know, you'd go to the shops and stuff and you, you, you would walk up the stairs, no problem, one day and the next, the accident's happened and I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, we're not going that way because the stairs that way and you start thinking, the stairs is there, I can't go that way and, you, and in the end, it was, I was withdrawing into myself and I was staying at home and then became angry at everyone and everything. And it was not anyone's fault. You know, I I was a trained lawyer, you know, I'd just qualified and I'd got my life set. And we knew home, we knew what we were going to do, you know, and it just went like that. And you were so, yeah. uh, you were young when this happened, right? Yeah, I was 24. So I mean, not, okay, not so old. from this side of 40, that uh, sorry any of you who are who are young, but that sounds like young. I mean, that's just when you think you've got it figured out and you're making your plans. Yeah, exactly. How, we had we had plans. How like did said, this affect your plans? What did it change? Uh, well, we were going to get married. We had plans to get have a family, and that just went stop. Everything stopped in its tracks. You know, my husband had to change jobs because. Uh, it was shifts, but it was night shifts, and I had real problems with the night because I couldn't sleep, and it it was just so he was affected as well, and I that's how 
that's why when I started burning nights, I always said that it's not just the person that has the condition. The condition affects everyone around them. I know we're not in the same way, but in their own way, you know. So, my, you know, like my husband, he had to change jobs, and in the end he actually stopped working, you know, to look after me. Now, you know, you don't expect that at 24. <laughs> no. You know? <laughs> I don't expect to be looked after at 24, you know. I wasn't a granny at 90, you know. I was 24. I had a body of a 90-year-old by this point. But, you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, don't um, let the shell fool you. There is no. a cranky 90-year-old inside you. this. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, don't let this fool you. No, it's not good. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it affected him massively. And it affects the plans of what we wanted to do. Um, and because I'd had, or the, because of the initial, you know, the earlier years, they gave me all these medications, uh, NSAIDs, antidepressants, you name it. It all affected me like, inside, so I can't have children. And that, you know, all because of that. So... Wow, I, I've never heard of the pills that you that. That's crazy. I've never heard of that. It's nuts. Yeah, because the, you're at the right age, if you know if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> okay, see, you know what I mean. Are, I'm in the Bay Area, where 40 is like the general age to start having babies over here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they looked at me like I was a teenage mom when I had my son at 24. It's like, are you sure? That's really young. Be sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here it's considered very old at 35 to have a kid. So that's like ancient, you know. That's how we work here. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, that was tough, you know, learning that you couldn't have kids, you know, because we don't, you know, plans and everything. Yeah. We wanted, you know, yeah, but I, it was tough. Absolutely hear you. It's I, I, I was told I couldn't have kids. I have two who proved that wrong, but. I was told that at 19, it was just like, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm supposed to be preventing wow. children at 19. I'm not supposed to be thinking about, like, <laughs> oh, but I really do. I mean, like, I always wanted to be a mom, but uh, not now. So how, I'm confused. <laughs> it's oh a hard God. piece of information to get at any point in your life because whether you definitely want kids or you weren't sure, you were thinking maybe, it's, it is closing a huge door. Yeah, exactly. And when I got when we when everything sort of sort of stabilised, if you can say that, um, you know, we went to IVF. We did all that, and as soon as they saw my prescription list, she just went, "We oh. got no chance," you know. And I'm like, "Oh, great! You know, this is getting even better now." <laughs> then we tried the adoption agency, thinking, "Okay, we'll adopt, and we'll adopt an older child because older children are." Are in desperate need, certainly in the UK, that the older children tend to not get adopted because most parents want babies and yeah. young children. We didn't. We were the total opposite, and we were told no because I had a long-term condition and I was in a wheelchair. And their test was, "Can you pick a baby off the floor?" And I said, "Well, don't hello? want a baby. I don't want a baby. I just want an older child." You know. Uh, One who could presumably get themselves off a floor. Yeah, at the age of 10 or 12. I should hope so, yeah. so. I mean, that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize is that disability 
the um, the things you're told no about don't necessarily make sense or are thought through for every condition. It just a lot of people go disability as a blanket. Yeah. And don't really know what you are actually capable of or take the time to find out. That's I mean, that's just heartbreaking. It is, and it's a blanket. No, not a question of. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's look at it and let's see and see what we, yeah, we can do. Yeah, let's send a social worker around and have them look at. It. You know, um, you know, I'm not a monster, and but just because I've got a disability doesn't mean to say I can't have I, kids. Anyone who looks can see my wheelchair in the back, and somehow they survived. I don't know how, but. <laughs> Both of them seem to have made it in a relatively together sort of way. <laughs> Themselves off the floor as well. Um, I, you know, actually, I, I don't want to put any salt on the wood. I will say that the wheelchair made life easier when they were toddlers. Because really? we, would, we would go places, and um, I was a single mom for a while. And when my son was a toddler, I was pretty much on my own for a lot of it. And going to any sort of, I can walk for certain amounts of time or on good days, I can walk the whole day. But if I'm going to be out for an hour, it's the chair, <laughs> no question. And a two-year-old little boy who has all the energy and running away in a chair in a crowded area was never going to work, but he would get a ride. So he would sit in my lap and then I wouldn't have, I, he would be safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are ways around everything. There are, and it would be. I, there only. I would. I would never say this to you, except that I want people to listen to this and understand that disabled moms exist, and that it's important yeah. to actually look through all of it to change policy and and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And all they need to do is to look at individual cases. They don't need to do. They don't need to blanket. No, just look at individual cases and realize that just because you have disability does not mean to say you can't do something all right no i can't pick a child off the floor but i don't expect to at the age of 10 or 12 you don't expect that you know so look at it properly instead of no sorry goodbye next I mean, maybe the day after their 21st birthday. You might have to pick them off the floor the day after the 21st birthday. Yeah, that might, yeah. Fair point, fair point, Just yeah. Just like, <laughs> um, you've had to make a lot of big decisions. And I think one of the ones that really hit me the hardest, because um, my, uh, I actually won't say that. That's someone else's story. I'll leave that for them if they want to tell it. But I will say for me, um even experiencing what you have at a much less degree of what you have and having the constant dislocations now of my hip. I have considered amputation. No one will do it. <laughs> but I have to say, it's it's definitely crossed my mind a few times, especially when you see the really cool prosthetics that are out there. It's like, oh, and now it's fashion. <laughs> but you had to make a big choice. And I'm wondering what led into that and how your family reacted and how you're able to convince doctors because what you have a lot of doctors at least the doctors I had were very sure it was in my head until a pain clinic doctor was willing to do a surgery so what did you have to go through for all that and let me start with what led up to that decision okay um you're right um 
right back at the beginning when you just said that you consider amputation you're not the only one there are thousands of people all over the world usa uk wherever that have got crps and other conditions that want amputations and it's the biggest thing we always get asked at the charity and that's why we wrote the blog on it because amputation is for crps is looked on it in a, in a way that you shouldn't have it because it will cause more CRPS, more pain, phantom limb pain, and mm. uh, can cause this condition to spread, can cause other pain conditions. So usually there is a blanket no but for me mine was a life or death choice. So leading up to it and answer to your question, um, uh, after diagnosis I had pretty much every treatment on the NHS, um, you know, on the hospital system uh, that we had at the time, and everything was failing. And every time I tried something, it would worsen. The CRPS would worsen. So I tried, you know, everything, acupuncture, acupressure, physio or PT, as you say, physical therapy. Uh, we call it physiotherapy here. Um, occupational like the English to American dictionary. We'll get there. <laughs> To keep doing the English array. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah. Um, so um, we did the OT, did the physio, PT. Um, we did the opiates. We did medications. We did um, regional blocks. And then eventually, after being told, no, I'm not having it, I got an, a spinal cord stimulator implanted. But it was too late. And what had happened was, because the swelling had maintained in the right leg, it, it the skin had basically stretched to its absolute maximum. It had been swollen three times the size for nearly three years. Um, when it, you know, by the time amputation took first one took place, um, about nine months before, um, so that'd be Christmas 05-ish, um, I saw a small tear in the lower part of my calf and I thought, oh, okay, I've maybe caught my leg on something, you know, it was absolutely excruciatingly painful. Um, it was just like I had my leg sat in by the Nile 24-7 and then we'll freeze go the opposite way and be like as if you're in an igloo or some absolutely stone cold frozen piece of ice. Um, I went through every colour known to mankind I think um, on the leg it just changed like the traffic lights it was a joke um, the tear happened and we couldn't fix it and it got worse and an ulcer appeared on the front that went funny um, and then it grew into bigger ulcer and another one appeared joined onto the other one joined on the back and it just went into a mass basically um, of ulceration and eventually they had total skin breakdown from just below the knee joint all the way to the toes um, I couldn't have a shower with it anymore so it was always permanently out of the shower if I went for a shower thought it was in bed it was sat out of the bed um, I used to have um, we call them uh, I think it's the same in the states uh, incontinence sheets but that square that square oh, yes. like cotton padding type with a plastic back we call them inco sheets here i don't know the american terminology sorry well, um, i actually couldn't tell you i know what they are because um all the moms use them here for their kids like you you use them on well, like, the, the twin beds. yeah <laughs> otherwise you're just like constantly doing laundry <laughs> 
yeah exactly because it and it's disgusting so we had to put those everywhere in my shoe i couldn't wear shoes i had to wear topo sandals all the time um and eventually it just just basically the leg disintegrated and tint skin was no longer it was so smelly it was disgusting um and eventually the hospital told me to leave and not come back and i'm like thanks great you know leave me along my own with all this um we did we i don't know how actually thinking back i don't know how we survived i really don't um i mean i had thought of even suicide but um eventually saw a vascular surgeon he said look i'm sorry we can't do anything um i think you've got a choice of keep getting infections because I kept getting cellulitis infections um, then I had septicemia and was hospitalised and eventually uh, they said you're going to need an amputation so we did and it took me about six months to get my head around it saw psychologists to try and talk through it spoke to my family Michael mainly um, my husband and he just said you know it's you either live for that and keep you know I couldn't go outside I had to change my clothes at least four or five times a day because this stuff would stick to my skin and go all horrible there was no choice you know so I mean I'd probably ask your viewers the same what would you do if you were like that you know and most people would always come back and say yeah you did the right thing um, in the summer just before the amputation took place it was that my leg was that bad that um, we had um, uninvited and non-medical maggots all over the leg and I love that you have to say non-medical because they are used in medicine um, creepiest medicine idea since the leeches but disgusting they, they really work. are <laughs> Apparently, yeah, but not. I'm not having them on me, you know. Not when but you don't why, invite them. <laughs> oh, that's why I say non-medical. Yeah, but they they were disgusting. So, what were some of your concerns before? Like, I I mean, I'm sure you had a billion, but what were some of the things you were thinking? And one of the things I, I if you are not wanting to talk about this, just tell me no. But I um. I've started being more open about my clinical depression. I've talked to other people with chronic illness, and I think it's like the invisible disease within the invisible disease of we're all supposed to be inspiring <laughs> all the time, yeah. 24-7. Yeah. You better be inspiring and earn your your um, companionship with everyone. You, like, And granted, yeah. the bar for inspiring when you're disabled is low. It is, did you get up out of bed? You're so inspiring, and it's weird. But it also yeah. makes it very hard to talk about when you are not fucking feeling inspiring. When you yeah, are like, I didn't you know feel what? That, that inspiring at the time, yeah. to be honest. I like, you know, um, inspiring would be if I chose to get up at all. And I didn't make that choice. I woke up, my eyes opened, I'm here, heart's beating. Okay, I don't know if I make that choice every morning. And that's the truth. And it's not a happy truth. It's not one that anyone in my life wants to hear. And I'm sorry, but <laughs> I think it's important that we all start trying to be a little more honest about this and less, like, looking inspiring and start talking about... Mental health. Yes! <laughs> because Be no one talks to us um, about it, not my doctors, until I get to the pain clinic, and they're like, ah! Have you thought about suicide? 
right. And it's always with, uh, with my mom or my husband in the room. And they're like, have you ever had suicidal thoughts? I'm like, all right, first off, look up when you ask me that. Eye contact first. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. don't ask me that in front, like, <laughs> because of um, the dislocation. So they'll ask me, like, does your husband beat you? And I'm like, he's standing right here. You might want to ask him. <laughs> like, really? Interns, come on. <laughs> no, you're right. And it's true. Everybody thinks that because you're up, and you're out you're an inspiration and everybody will have the good days and they'll have the bad days and I I think I put um in my notes that um my I'm fine face ha! yeah I'm doing great absolutely fantastic and actually I'm not you know and I did slip into a massive depression um, where I would not move, I wouldn't get up, I didn't want to open my eyes and I didn't care whether I was there or not. Yeah. Um, I did consider suicide, yes I did, and I even contacted the clinic, the euthanasia clinic in an ex-country, um, and I said I'd, I'd had, you know, I'd had enough. I couldn't deal with the dripping and the smell and, and the pain. And I I just didn't think it was fair on the, my family to, you know, to be there. I didn't deserve to be there. You know, that's what I kept thinking. And and it's something that I've always mentioned in, in, say, in speeches to my to the health professionals. You've got to deal with the mental health side because it will grow into a bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger problem until that eventually can overtake your original illness. And it's not dealt with sufficiently, I don't think. Psychological, it needs more. Mental health side, it needs more input, especially when you've got an invisible illness or even any form of chronic illness or disability. So what um, helped you get through that? Because you are here talking to me. So <laughs> I'm guessing that at least in some part you've been working with mental health. What Was there anything in particular that helped you through this? Um, no. no. The psychologists, no. I mean, they did. we did the EMDR, the CBT, the mindfulness. I've done all of that. <laughs> Didn't mean <laughs> to laugh. Everyone will probably sorry. Know. I've tried it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me about that one again, you know. Um, but the only thing was me. The biggest key for me was learning that I ac I accepted it, the acceptance mm. for me. I know that I know people will say, well, I'm never going to accept my pain, I'm never going to accept living like this. And I know, I get it. I, You know, I, I, I've seen it on social media. and But for me acceptance was the hugest part the largest part but and it wasn't until i i accepted the fact that i life was not going to change unless i changed it you know and that's that's what brought me through and michael i wouldn't let i wouldn't be here if it wasn't that if it if it wasn't for him i really wouldn't because he always he's always said to me that like you've only got one chance at life and you've got to take every day as if it was your last and and I know possibly that's a bit dramatic or sad to deal with it one day at a time but with this condition it's so unpredictable that one day you might be okay and you might do everything like perfect and then the next day you're just like yeah right <laughs> go away and leave me alone you know 
So for me, acceptance, and I, like I said, I know, I know what people would think, well, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to do that. And I know that. And I, like, I can see people sat in front of the screen now watching this and going, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, I can just see it. So. All right. First off, everyone, different. it's just a tool in the toolbox. Pick it up if you don't, but don't judge those who do. Um, but that's that beautiful. Was- like, the idea of accepting and I mean, cheers, if you're a warrior and that's your jam and that's working for you for fighting, muscle top blessed be, I'm so thrilled for you. But I agree with you in for my own little journey through chronic pain that fighting it and looking at it as the enemy that was coming in to steal my life was not helping move forward. I am, however, going to put in the show notes um, suicide prevention hotlines in both the UK and the US because if you're listening to this and you're like I hear this and I feel this and it's all dark forest and I don't know how to get out um, there's help <laughs> and we will provide at least some ideas of how to help but no mean comments anyone on this one none no exactly um, and well, we've got um, an image with um, pretty much about 10 or 11 suicide hotlines so I can send that to you that would be awesome we'll put this right in front and center uh, I appreciate that but I'm really thank you for talking about this because I it's an important thing I think it is Monica, and I it's really hard do. to talk about it's hard to give up the inspiring title it's kind of nice when you're not being like I used to be a photographer you used to be a barrister and like there was this thing that you could hang around your neck going I achieved I'm great I did this and then all of a sudden it's all gone you got I'm inspiring I got out of bed it's hard to let yeah. that go <laughs> yeah exactly and it there's no, we don't talk about it enough I don't think and I know it is really hard to talk about it you know I don't often talk about me wanting to die you know I've, I've I don't often talk about it because that was like the, the lowest of the low lowest point of my life and something I don't like to revisit but I think it's important people realize that mental health is important and it's just as important as your main physical illness well thank you for laying the rude American ask these intense questions I appreciate that um but after your amputations you had both legs amputated the knee um I had one done at first in 06 and it was above knee okay um it was above knee um but I got osteomyelitis which is infection of the bone and I had yet more surgery on the right leg I'm sorry but you were starting to sound like one of those Greek like stories where the person's like in the underworld's like no you can't have the grapes like you're just it's just almost like you're a Greek tragedy written right here on this I am aren't I yeah I think I've had the worst look possible but um yeah I'll just grab that apple no you can't (laughs) just keep pushing that thing up the hill it'll be fine so osteo I have not heard of this one yet and I hope I never have to again what is this um, yeah, I mean, the infection was just horrendous. It was just constant uh, infection, basically, all the time. You felt sick, you felt ill, so tired. Um, the leg was bright red. Um, it wouldn't heal. The, the amputation site took 18 months to heal, and the CRPS kept stopping it healing, basically. Um, eventually, after about eight months, I had, as I say, another surgery, and, and they cut another four inches off to make it really short. 
Um, so it was always above knee anyway, but they just made it extra short. Um, so yeah, that was uh, July July '07. That would be yeah. So wow. I thought I'd got that cookie. I thought I'd got that grape. Then I did. <laughs> great I've grabbed that grape up there and I'm going to carry on with life you know turn my life around and let's you know do something but obviously not meant to be a Greek tragedy part three um um sorry um, no I you'll learn about <laughs> gallows humor is a thing here <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, I kept getting pneumonia that was a weird one um every year without fail uh had all the injections the, the jabs and everything but every year icu hdu um you know intensive care and then high dependency um and every year and i was really really poorly and it got worse every year and i thought okay you know come on please give me that grape and that apple you know that cookie um but it wasn't we actually went to the states so we did come and visit you guys ah. yay um we came to new york went to new york um christmas 13 it would be um we were there for christmas i wanted a, a girly week in in uh, new york central park the snow this christmas tree you know you know what i mean mm. if anyone's from new york and you probably you know what I mean anyway. <laughs> the big ginormous Christmas tree Rockefeller Center. Um, we get the one in San Francisco. We have Union Square with a giant Christmas tree, but we don't get snow here. We are at like 70 degrees in February. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd no! be lovely. It's totally no! snowing here. It makes us look at Al Gore going, you were so right. We're so sorry. Let's hug a polar bear. It's all going bad. <laughs> Oh, well, we've got snow here. You're all right. So you can have your 70 and we'll have the snow. Um, yeah, so we went to New York and I, my, both of us actually got quite poorly. And we got a, like, it was just like a flu, really. And I thought, okay, yeah. Take some night nurse, day nurse. We will be fine. Michael, my husband, got better. I didn't. And my infection worsened so much so that I ended up in hospital on 2nd of January so I didn't really I did. I went to Times Square but I didn't see the giant boulder up or anything um, it was too busy <laughs> um, but yeah 2nd of Jan in hospital emergency department or your ER I think you call it we have A&E you have ER um, here's the glossary again <laughs> um, yeah went in and my oxygen stats were really low they were only 67% which is really really low put me on oxygen straight away and I thought okay pneumonia here we come again because I'd had it for so long and it wasn't I actually got swine flu and I got five types of pneumonia in both my lungs don't do things by half I don't think no you go to the wall with it like <laughs> I do it in style you've got to admit I do it in style um uh, yeah, yeah, I got really poorly, um, and within 24 hours, I, my body uh, was just failing. My organs started failing. I was put into induced coma. Um, my husband was told I needed the last rites, and I was told she had. I had less. Well, my husband was told I had less than 20% chance of survival. 
Um, I was put on what they call an ECMO machine. And it's basically like a dialysis machine, you know, for kidneys, uh, dialysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's your own blood that gets taken out, cleaned, oxygenated, but put back in. Um, and you're only allowed five days of that. I was on the fourth day and I was still not responding to it. So my husband apparently was told that I had got one more day and if I didn't respond, they'd have to stop the the transfusions and then he would have to choose then uh, to carry on life support or not to. So um, obviously I missed all this. I was sleeping. I don't know what I was dreaming of, actually. I don't think I was dreaming anything. Um, But, yeah, I got to the fifth day and my body started to respond. And they said, thank God for that. You know, she only had a few hours left, otherwise we'd turn it off. So I started to respond and eventually they got me out of the the coma after four attempts. Um, Got me out there and put a tracheostomy in. Um, Got me back to the UK. I woke up said to the nurse I can't feel my left leg and she said oh don't worry it's probably you know machines you've been in hospital so long you need to wake up your body needs to wake up don't worry you know give it time by the evening still no better she said I'll call the neurologist so there we go you know Um, saw him and he said I think you've got nerve damage okay right so but you definitely got drop foot and paralysis okay right that's fine so my one and only independent leg that I used to do everything with and I couldn't feel so uh, yeah that was a tough one I couldn't feel anything um, and eventually in the March which a couple of months later I was diagnosed with CRPS again in the left leg and it had spread from nerve damage so yeah I thought no I, I heard the diagnosis and I thought not again you know so yeah that was tough had all the same symptoms and signs and everything you know the hair growth hair loss brittle nails the swelling of course major swelling um had all of that temperature changes color changes sweating you name it i had it um and eventually it got so bad that a little tear appeared and you know what I'm going to say? Yep. And also appeared. And then it joined on to another one and another one. Yeah. So 1st of December, called the vascular surgeon and I said, I think he's happening again. And he went, oh, no, not you again. <laughs> so great. Me. Thanks for that, mate. Cheers. You know, so uh, I was brought in to hospital as an emergency patient and had my second leg amputated above the knee on December 14th, two days before my birthday. So I spent it in ICU, my birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to me back then. Yeah. So we are getting close to the end and I really want to get to act four. And that act is four. burning yeah. nights. And I would love to keep going on because, like, I just anyone who feels like you're having a bad day, listen to this because, mm, no, you're not. I don't listen often where I'm like, you know what? I'm good with the EDS. Sure. Dislocate shoulder. I'm fine. No worries. Yeah, <laughs> new appreciation. <laughs> uh, but I really want to talk about what you've done because you're home. You're not a barrister. 
what are you doing with Burning Nights? What is this? How did you start it? And I mean, I'm sorry, we only have 12 minutes for that, but hey, let's, let's see what we can fit worry. in. We can fit it in. Um, basically, when I found out that it was looking like I was going to need an amputation, I, uh, the second one, I said to Michael that because there was nothing out there for CRPS, in the UK that was, uh, there was no website, there was no charity, there was nothing. I, I actually thought I was going to die, to be honest. I really did. And that's why I think I did it as well. And I also did it for me. And um, I started getting all the information. I set up a website and thought, right, do loads of information, up to date, the latest stuff, latest research guidelines, etc., etc. Um, put it into a website, did a forum, started on social media. Um, and I, did, I was inundated within three months. It was getting so much so that I needed to take on volunteers because I was getting ridiculous. I hadn't realised how needed we were. Um, within six months, we'd started on the road to become a charity. Um, we started the application, we applied. That took ages and forever. And we became a registered UK charity. <laughs> April 2016 and trust me that's quite a big thing over here no I'm um, thinking from the US perspective to become a charity is this insane level of bureaucracy that I cannot begin to wrap my little brain around um, oh yes if it's the same yeah. over there you have a tenacity that I bow down to oh yes it's bureaucracy it's red tape it's form it's letters it's do that do that banks you name it it was a nightmare but we did it, and it's the best thing I've ever done. Um, Bernie Knights CRPS Support is its full title. We call it Bernie Knights for short. Um, and I called it Bernie Knights because, for me, the pain from the CRPS burnt worse at night because everyone's gone to bed. You know, everyone's, you know, everything's gone quiet. You know, the dog's asleep, the husband's asleep, the TV's off, it's pitch dark, black outside, and you're left with your own thoughts. Everything stopped from the day, no distractions, and it's like a brick wall hits you like anything. And I think you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I think everyone knows. Like, even people who don't have CRPS, if you're dealing with daily chronic pain, you know two in the morning. You know what that is like when you are up with dislocations and there's no one there to distract you. And thank fucking God for my iPad. I would not make it without my iPad. It would it would not work out well. <laughs> yeah, I second the iPad bit. I, I couldn't live without it, I think. Um, but yeah, it it that's the main reason why I called it Benny Knight. So um, we have... Let me see, four trustees. Um, there are six volunteers in total. All six are CRPS sufferers. They do have other conditions as well. Um, we are on social media pretty much everywhere. Not on Instagram or Snapchat. I'm on everything else, but not them two yet. I can't do that. It's just too much. Um, but we're on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, I'm getting good with Pinterest. Oh, I'm sorry. If anyone's listened to this podcast, you know I warn everyone, be careful or just jump down the rabbit hole because that's the only way it's going to go. You're going to be there at three in the morning. 
Yeah, fatal. But we've got twenty odd thousand followers, so I don't mind. Oh, um, now you need to yeah. teach me how to use Pinterest properly. I just obsess on it. I haven't gotten the followers for it. I'll follow. We'll, we'll follow you. Don't worry. You'll have at least one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, we do fundraising. We support and raise awareness. Um, we obviously, like I said, way back in God knows what minute it was. Um, that we support both the person with the condition, the families, friends and carers. We run an annual conference, which is free of charge to patients and their families. Uh, we bring in health workers, uh, we bring in social workers, bring in disability experts, we bring in CRPS experts, doctors, you name it, we'll bring them in. Uh, we do uh, a helpline as well. It's restricted times at the moment because no funding, so we need to do that. Um, eventually we do 24-7 but not just yet we obviously have the website we have forum a 24-7 forum um, online community so then yeah that's us uh, we are there's only two charities in the UK for CRPS and we're one of them yay um, so yeah so what can listeners who are listening and either they have CRPS or they know someone has CRPS or they just are like I'm sorry that sucks. How do they help you? What can they do? They can go to our website, which is Uh They can pick up the phone in the UK, or if you're abroad, if you want to pay for that. <laughs> um, but the UK number is UK uh, 01663 uh, You can also email us as well, because um, we do email support. Um, so all, like I said, all our all our volunteers know and understand what you're going through, and trust me, we know it's tough. Um, so yeah, they can email us at support at burningnightscrps.org. Um, but you should have all that info. And probably. this is all. If you're like running for a pen, breathe. Take a seat. Don't yeah, calm yourself. down. Breathe. Take this a breath. This is all going to be in the show notes, and everything is going to be linked. And if you go to our website, invisiblenotbroken.com, and um, if you go to our podcast section, the first thing you're going to see if you click on this episode will be a link to Burning Nights. So that'll be right front and center. I'm assuming people can give you money for this, too, so you can follow They can, indeed. Seven. So they can, they can, they can donate. They can donate on PayPal. They can even do fundraisers for us if they want. Um, we've had people from from abroad also fundraising for us. Yep. So you don't have to be in the UK. You can hold a coffee morning. Uh, we can send you uh, leaflets, flyers. Um, we've got plenty of um, products as well that we do we sell online, um, including doggy bandanas or pet bandanas um, we have little badges like these um, we've got all sorts um, leaflets as well um, so yeah we, we, we take money we definitely take money <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're like that's awful I wish there was something I could do do not be an American congressperson and send thoughts and prayers make a phone call and do a PayPal and do what you can if you can this, would, this is a good cause all right, so we are, I can't believe this, I love talking to you, but we are at an hour. Um, so we always end with your favorite swear word. Shit. Ah, good one. Yeah. Yeah, you can have fuck or I'll have shit. I, as a 
comma. It works for everything. <laughs> I don't have to think about whether it's in context or not. It just works. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been an amazing interview. I've loved meeting you. Lovely meeting you and... Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means so much to Kiros and I. We are still a baby podcast. We're only six months old. And if you would like to be really, really nice to us, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you wish understood chronic illness or invisible disorders better. And you can also go to iTunes, leave an embarrassingly nice review, and of course, press that subscribe button. Tune in for a new episode next Monday a.m. And until next time, be kind. Be gentle and be a badass.